0: Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Anne Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced by the Institute for the Advancement of Breastfeeding and Lactation Education and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Hi, Karen. How are you?
1: I'm good, Anne. It's so good to hear your voice.
0: It's good to hear from you, too. Yeah, it feels like, you know, we're all alone in our homes, but then yet together in Zoom, which is <laughs> not in existence right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so your family's doing okay?
1: Yeah, we are. We, uh, we're getting used to this new, new situation. Yeah, I think
0: being, I think summertime really helps, just being able to get out. I dreaded this in January. We're still inside all the time.
1: Yeah, I was really, really happy when school ended, because trying to balance the online school was really hard. I've enjoyed summer. Going back is making me a little nauseous.
0: Yeah, yeah. How are things at the hospital with COVID?
1: Well, um, they're a little better. I think we have um, sort of gotten in the in the swing of things, gotten a a lot more of our processes down. We have been pretty busy. So, you know, we have more than 10,000 deliveries a year at my hospital. And we've seen a little over 160 moms who have delivered, um, who were positive for COVID at the time of delivery. And um, I would say at the peak, we had around six a day. And now we're down to more like two moms a day. They're doing universal screening. So almost all of them are asymptomatic. And now we're also seeing a group of moms who were positive for COVID during their pregnancy, but have since recovered. Great. Very nice. And so what about readmissions of infants who to COVID-positive mothers? Um, We have not really seen babies who were, you know, newborns breastfeeding who have contracted COVID. There were a few babies early on who um, came in with fever or poor feeding who were found to have COVID while they were being worked up for their, um, you know, to see if they had sepsis as a cause of their symptoms. Um, but those babies weren't very ill and they were able to go home after the 48 hour um, time period that we watched them to make sure they don't have bacterial infection. Um, and really, we haven't seen a lot of infants who are in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And what about the older children? Um, We did see a a fair number of kids um, with COVID, some of whom were very ill in the ICU and uh, a couple who were on ECMO. um, And happily they have all recovered and gone home. We have also seen some kids with that uh, multisystem inflammatory syndrome and we continue to see those. in session in some parts of the country. Yeah, so much that's unknown.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I guess we'll turn our attention from COVID to some more interesting things regarding breastfeeding. And you have a couple articles for us.
1: I do. Um, there were two articles that were back-to-back in um, the uh, journal Breastfeeding Medicine in July of 2020, this year. And they really seem to relate to each other in my mind, and so I wanted to go over those two. Um, The first is, are low-income, diverse mothers able to meet breastfeeding intentions after two months of breastfeeding Um, by Kay, Cholera, Flower, and other authors? In this article, um, the authors describe the association between intended and actual breastfeeding duration among low-income, diverse mothers who reported maintaining breastfeeding for the first two months postpartum? And I thought this was so interesting because a lot of articles that look at intention really, um, you know, we go on to see that they compare that to how breastfeeding is going later, but there's a certain number of moms who are not successful, and it in a way skews the data. So these authors included mothers who were 64% Hispanic and 17% non-Hispanic black who were participating in Green Light, a cluster randomized childhood obesity prevention trial, who were providing breast milk at the two-month well-child visit, and reported intending breastfeed duration at that visit. Breastfeeding status was assessed at subsequent well child visits up to 24 months. The authors also compared race, ethnicity, income, receiving WIC benefits, education, age, employment, depression, maternal obesity, um, whether they were born in the U.S., whether an infant was first born and um, which study site they were seen at. They discovered that the median intended breastfeeding duration was 11.5 months and the median actual breastfeeding duration was 8.6 months. They found that 49% met intended breastfeeding duration. Breastfeeding duration differed based on milk type provided at the two-month visit in that mothers who were providing mostly or only breast milk had increased likelihood of meeting breastfeeding, breastfeeding intentions. Regardless of milk type provided at two months, the longer a mother intended to breastfeed, the less likely she was to meet her intentions. And so they concluded that in this diverse sample of women, Um, Less than half met their intentions despite maintaining breastfeeding for two months. And they said understanding factors that prevent mothers from attaining intended breastfeeding duration is critical to improving outcomes, especially in low-income and ethnic minority populations. So when you dig in a little bit deeper, um, the authors remind us that breastfeeding duration has increased in recent years with 57% of babies born in 2016 breastfeeding at six months and 36% at 12 months. But the rates among non-Hispanic Black women are consistently lower and fewer low-income women continue breastfeeding compared with those of higher incomes. Prenatal breastfeeding tensions are strongly associated with breastfeeding duration. However, they can change postnatally. And many mothers who initiate breastfeeding stop earlier than planned, as we all know. Poor initial experiences, particularly in the first two months, are a strong predictor of early breastfeeding cessation. Um, However, beyond two months, breastfeeding breastfeeding intentions and rates after initial initiation are not well understood. And understanding whether women who continue providing breast milk beyond that early time frame attain their um, intended breastfeeding duration is important to determine um, and assess barriers to sustaining breastfeeding, particularly after mothers return to work. So when they were examining duration, um, which was the primary outcome measure of the study, they looked at these well-child checks, which, um, you know, based on the um, AAP and... um, Oh gosh, sorry, I lost it there. When they were looking at uh, breastfeeding duration, the primary outcome of the study, they looked at all of the well visits um, and mothers were asked what type of milk their child was receiving. The responses included formula only, mostly formula and some breast milk, equal amounts of breast milk and formula, mostly breast milk, but some formula and breast milk only. And then a second outcome was whether intended breastfeeding duration was attained. There were 375 mothers in this study large study. Mm-hmm. And the results were that in, um, at the two-month visit, over a third of the mothers were exclusively breastfeeding. 38% more were providing mostly breast milk. Only 2% were providing equal amounts. And then 26% said that they were providing mostly formula Most of these mothers were Hispanic, like I said, 64%. And um, over half were from households earning less than $20,000 a year. Um, They had a quarter had less than a high school education. A third had obesity. 80% were receiving WIC benefits. And 14% screened positive for depression at the two-month visit. Mm -hmm. Um, Over two-thirds of their participants were not born in the United States. And over a third, 38%, were the firstborn. There were no significant um, sociodemographic differences associated at the two-month visit in the type of milk provided. So really diverse, um, interesting population, um, and sort of all doing around the same at that two-month visit. So when they looked at their intended breastfeeding duration, the mean intended duration was 11.5 months. And the intended breastfeeding duration varied by the mother's age with um, younger mothers having shorter intention. Um, The duration also varied by level of education with high school graduates reporting shorter intended durations compared with those with less than high school or those with some college. And mothers who had their firstborn child also reported shorter intention. When it came to the actual breastfeeding duration, the median was 8.6 months. Mothers providing mostly formula breastfed for the shortest duration. And that doesn't surprise me. That's um, usually what we see in most studies.
0: Yeah, that makes the most sense.
1: Yeah. And when we look at intended and actual breastfeeding duration by milk type, this is, I think, when I look at a lot of these studies, it's both like, oh, that's interesting. And a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, that's totally what I see, right? Like this is not surprising. So mothers providing mostly formula or equal amounts of breast milk and formula reported shorter intended breastfeeding durations. And they have this interesting chart which has um, essentially four sections. You've got mothers who are exclusively breastfeeding, mostly breast milk, equal parts, and then mostly formula. And each section has um, two bars. It's a bar graph, the intended duration and the actual duration. And what one of the things I found so interesting about this was when you look at the intended breastfeeding duration, those moms who are exclusively or mostly giving breast milk, the bar is at 12 months. And when you look at the intention for the moms who are mostly formula feeding or giving equal amounts, the intention is six months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that says a lot about what the messages that women are hearing, right? Like this is what they've been told to do. And so that's their plan. And moms who know that, you know, they're not giving a lot of breast milk aren't going to say, I'm going to breastfeed for 12 months because they don't, like it's not going that well. I guess it's a chicken and egg question, right? Like partly I find that a lot of patients that I see in clinic, when breastfeeding is going really badly, they keep adjusting their intention downward yes i intended to exclusively breastfeed for 12 months but now i'm pumping drops let's see if i can pump for a month like trying to you know pull some small win out of what's a really tough situation
0: yeah
1: um so the like i said the intentions were 12 months and six months depending on how things were going and then the actual achieved duration for moms who were exclusively breastfeeding was 11.5 months. Um, For those who are giving most breast milk was a little bit over 10 months. For those giving equal parts breast milk and formula, it was a little over three months. And for those giving mostly formula, it was four months. Mm -hmm. So about half of the mothers met their breastfeeding intention. And among mothers providing only breast milk at two months, 60% met their intention compared with 52% of those providing mostly breast milk and in the 30s for both of the groups that had a lot of formula. In the unadjusted model, the likelihood of meeting breastfeeding intentions decreased depending on the amount of breast milk provided at the first two months. And so the authors point out that despite overcoming the barriers to initiating and maintaining breastfeeding in the early postpartum period, half of the mothers in this group still did not breastfeed as long as they intended. Mm -hmm. In addition, the more breast milk, the mother provided at two months, the more likely she was to meet her intentions, but still those who were exclusively breastfeeding only 60% were able to meet their intention. And um, other studies have demonstrated that when measured prenatally positive intention and attitude toward breastfeeding is associated with better um, breastfeeding initiation but few have assessed how intention influences duration, particularly um, past six months. And measuring breastfeeding intentions among women who have already established breastfeeding can have more practical experience. And so one of the things that I thought was really interesting was they went on to say that um, DeGaralmo who um, has done some really interesting studies in this area, highlighted the importance of including initial breastfeeding experiences when assessing maintenance of breastfeeding duration. For women with negative initial experiences with breastfeeding, they're less likely to continue. And in combination with this results shows that mothers with longer postnatal breastfeeding intentions for those mothers, meeting those expectations is more difficult And they then said, suggesting mothers may need increased support throughout the postpartum period to attain their breastfeeding goals.
0: No, it's just like so clearly like that's what we see every day, right?
1: Yeah. And then they say, many mothers may not anticipate the challenges associated with sustaining breastfeeding, leaving them ill-equipped to overcome them. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you and I probably, I mean, I hear this all the time. I'm sure you do too. Women say if only someone had talked about this issue, like the possibility of not having enough milk, I would be, I wouldn't be so, um, you know, I wouldn't have been so blind going into this and not understanding why my baby got readmitted for dehydration. You know, I mean, there's, um, we do talk about, you know, that most women can do well, right? And we assume most women can make sufficient milk. But... um, there are so many mountains to climb and so many, like, you know, booby traps and there's so many issues that come up and every woman's different that so many women feel frustrated that they did not anticipate these problems and so it totally revises their, their own expectations after you know that for those first couple of weeks.
1: Well, yeah. And so then, you know, the authors go on and they talk about the support needed to sustain breastfeeding comes from many places, health providers, family and friends, partners, blah, blah, blah. And then they say social support, an important modifiable factor could explain mother's inability to meet expectations. Future studies would benefit from determining the presence of social support and its effects on meeting breastfeeding intentions. And this is where I lost my mind because I was like, moms who have succeeded in breastfeeding for two months, meaning those ones who were exclusively breastfeeding or were mostly breastfeeding, the difference, I think, I mean, this is just my clinical experience between the 60% that met their intention and those that did not is not social support. There are factors that determine whether or not moms wean early later on and it you know partly has to do with return to work but a lot of those people that wean early it's really because if they've already succeeded past two months they've probably had most of the early pain problems resolved later on they struggle with supply or They hit a bump in the road that they weren't expecting, and there are so many. I mean, I have patients come to my breastfeeding clinic who are nine, have nine-month-old babies who never had a problem, and then they got you know bit, and they have a wound that won't heal, or then they got um, the baby yanked because they wanted more flow and caused a uh, bleb, and then that you know caused intense pain, and then so there are like all these little medical things that happen later that yeah. they anybody who comes to see me has probably gone somewhere else first. And they went and they found people who didn't know what to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying is that these, these are problems that go beyond social support.
1: Yes, that is what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah. there are medical problems who, which are not being addressed in our system. And so yeah. suggesting that it's a problem with intention or social support really, I think is abdicating responsibility of the healthcare system to look at why women who, you know, wanted to breastfeed a year aren't making it there in yeah. large numbers. Yeah.
0: And I think, well, you know, the, the infant feeding to study one of those um, looked at reasons for weaning um, early and a low milk supply is, you know, a really top, a top one. And I think there are some, there are some social issues connected with low milk supply though. There are the issues of like, you know, the partner not wanting mom to feed in public, um, or, um, you know, not having financial resources to get a really decent pump. Like I had a mom like that recently, she couldn't afford a pump, and she went back to work. So she thought that she could get by with, you know, 12 hours of um, working without a pump and could just come home and just nurse for the next 12 hours.
1: I don't think I'd call that social support, though. I mean, that's, that's the system problem. But when I think of social support in the way that I think that was more like the mom's circle, right? Like her family and friends and. Oh yeah. But
0: I think part of it is like, I think what happened for her is like her partner chose the pump and it chose a pump that was really lousy. Uh, she not much to say over it and it wasn't what she wanted and it didn't work right. And then, didn't, and then like her partner didn't help to troubleshoot it to figure out like what's wrong with the pump. And so, you know, there, so there's, and then lack of education, right? So not understanding like the fact that if you go for 12 hours, you're going to drop your supply.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, that to me is the biggest thing that I see with people who have struggled and struggled. And so, you know, I think in addition to saying people's intention was for six months or 12 months, there are people who had a like strong intention, and there are people who had a weaker intention, right like I really want to breastfeed versus eh, I'll try mm-hmm. and I think there are people who you know they they tried and tried and tried, and they did various things and often they say to me, "If only I had known like yeah. they have learned so much because breastfeeding is is not simple when it's not going well. When it's going well, and you know, mom's with her baby and she doesn't have to worry about the pump and there's no pain. It's a self-sustaining system. It works great. But when it's not working great, understanding how to fix it is actually can be pretty complex.
0: Pretty complex, absolutely.
1: And there is not good, you know, knowledge in our communities or even our primary care of our health to help set moms back on course. And so they're trying to figure it out on the internet. And then, you know, things didn't go that well. And often I have this conversation with moms um, and this will lead us into our next article, which is perfect, which is you have learned so many things. When you have another baby, things will be different because yeah. you know where those booby tra- traps are and you're not going to fall into them again.
0: Exactly. And this is where I think sometimes like
1: the maternal education
0: and financial resources um, lead to that difference in breastfeeding duration because a woman who has more money can find a private lactation consultant she maybe is more able if she's more highly educated to surf the internet um someone who may have a little more time because of the because she's not uh, working on the clock to check in on her facebook social support group um to get some ideas um so there's so yeah
1: absolutely i mean the other thing i didn't get to in this article was the author said unique cultural factors may have affected mothers abilities to meet expectations as over three quarters of the mothers in the study were hispanic or non-hispanic black and many were born in the united states were not born in the united states and nearly half spoke primarily spanish culturally specific factors that may affect breastfeeding among racial ethnic minority women include a cultural literacy, cultural acceptance, support, and they talk a little bit about the idea that, and this is a thing we talk about a lot in the United States, um, our Hispanic populations are more likely to um, dual feed and start you know, early formula supplementation. But I think that particularly in the time we're in today, rather than just looking at the you know, cultural factors looking at that support and the fact that our minority populations do not have equal access and support.
0: Right. Yeah. In many, in many realms. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because of the language barrier and also healthcare. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I do think I, I like the fact that um that one of the comments that you made about. Uh, not measuring the intention just by prenatal intention, but measuring also like it, taking in, into account their intentions after they have their initial experiences breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Because people definitely readjust their their intentions after they give birth, depending on how things go, including mothers who like weren't, they weren't even sure they were going to breastfeed and thought they had an intention of like, oh, maybe two or three months until I go back to work. And then suddenly they realize this baby loves to feed and this is super easy and I don't have to clean bottles and this is great. And I'm just going to keep doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. So the second article is um, titled "Parity and the association between maternal sociodemographic characteristics and breastfeeding um, by Buckman Diaz Tuman and bear. And um, In this study, the authors note that breastfeeding initiation rates differ by characteristics such as race, ethnicity, age at first birth, and educational attainment. They hypothesize that the strong influence of prior infant breastfeeding experiences on multiparous women's decision to initiate and continue breastfeeding may mean that these maternal characteristics influence breastfeeding more strongly for first-time mothers than multiparous women authors used the Pregnancy Risk Assessment and Monitoring System Survey Data, which is called PRAMS, Phase 8, from 2016 to 2017, and analyzed mothers' responses to the supplemental question about parity. The question reads, before you got pregnant with your new baby, did you ever have another baby, any other babies who were born alive? Study variables were summarized um, then using weighted means and proportions, comparing them to parity. You thought that other study had a lot of people. Well, this study had a sample size after they um, you know, took out the moms with incomplete data of 20,694 mothers.
0: Nice.
1: That's good. <laughs> 40% of respondents were first-time mothers, and 88% of the population had initiated breastfeeding. The first-time moms were more likely than the multips um, to um, initiate breastfeeding, but it was only 92% versus 86%. However, the first-time moms had a shorter duration of breastfeeding. Now, this was what was in the abstract, but I will tell you, I spent quite a while working on this. And then I got down to the bottom where I realized that this shorter duration of breastfeeding in the prime ups was less than a week different. So it was 12.1 versus 12.9 weeks.
0: Interesting. That was significant because of the large size.
1: Right. But in terms of clinical significance, I don't think that's very significant. So I want to keep that in mind as we go forward. mm mm-hmm. On adjusted analysis, the, um, the variables that were more strongly associated with breastfeeding, oh, the, sorry, the other variables, the socio-demographic variables, were more strongly associated with breastfeeding intention among the first-time moms than the um, mothers who were having their second or further children. And these were maternal age, educational attainment, receiving breastfeeding information from a nurse or other medical professional and receiving um, breastfeeding information from family and friends. So the authors concluded that breastfeeding initiation is impacted more strongly by maternal characteristics for these first-time moms. And I found this fascinating because I find it to be true in my clinical work. I see see a lot of um, moms who had either very positive or very negative breastfeeding experiences in the past, and that is what is most impactful in terms of their decisions going forward. Mm -hmm. So the authors remind us that success with breastfeeding after a previous birth increases mother's likelihood of initiating and sustaining breastfeeding for subsequent children. However, multiparous women experience unique challenges including caring for older children Some studies have confirmed that multiparous women are less likely to initiate breastfeeding than first-time moms. And others have found no difference between the two groups. Um, So there's definitely some conflict in the literature.
0: I think it probably depends on their... um their other factors in terms of whether or not they will try again you know in other words if a multiparous woman has a bad experience the first time women who probably have higher education are more resourceful will seek out uh, an antenatal lactation visit to understand what happened what's going to happen next time versus those who maybe were shell-shocked didn't have enough support had a horrible experience like a, you know we had for sepsis and a terrible abscess and you know like something you know terrible um and then they're just like oh no I'm not doing that again they have some PTSD from that so I I don't know I think it depends on so many different factors because I tend to see so many women in my practice who not just my breastfeeding medicine practice but my regular family medicine practice who had trouble initially and they're like okay I'm gonna try again I feel like I'm so much more educated. I understand things that I maybe could do better next time. Um, I'm not going to give a bottle early. I'm going to pump early, you know. Like, yeah, I know.
1: Absolutely. But yeah. Ann, those are your patients and yeah, is, they yeah. are impacted by a physician who says it could be oh, different this time.
0: Yeah. That's true. Right. You're correct. Yes. And
1: And so I find that all the time, like so, so, so many of my patients when I was in general peds practice, I just would often meet people who were coming to see me with their two-year-old who just happened to be obviously pregnant. And I would be like, oh, and, and, you know, I moved around a lot. So I didn't usually know my patients for many years. I frequently hadn't taken care of them when they breastfed their first child. I'd be like, oh, you know, how did breastfeeding go with your first child? And they would be like, bad. <laughs> I'd be like, Well, tell me about it. And, you know did you know that we could blah, blah, blah. And I would have such a wonderful experience when I supported them with breastfeeding and they were like, it was so different, it went great. As opposed to those moms who encounter a healthcare provider who, you know, maybe they don't even think breastfeeding didn't go that great. Like they sort of weaned around four months because they, you know, things were not going so great. And then somebody's like, okay. It doesn't even ask them how they're going to feed their next child.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I do think um, more and more studies are showing the importance of support from their healthcare provider, from a nurse in the office or even the medical assistant, the physician, that they seem to care. And, um, you know, I think if they recognize that the healthcare provider sees this as valuable and that this is important for the health of their infant, and even though they're probably not talking to the mother about the, her own health, which of course is very important um that may you know I, I totally understand how that can make a difference we definitely need to get like everyone needs to own this right we all need to own it um it shouldn't be shoved off to the community lactation consultant or to the LH league and obviously they, they're there for support but healthcare providers need to be involved as well for sure
1: absolutely yeah um Anyway, I think for those people who are interested in this study, there's a lot in the discussion about um, receive. Like one of the things you were just mentioning, it's a the association between receiving breastfeeding information from nurses, midwives, or lactation consultants remains the strongest predictor of breastfeeding initiation, among multi paras even though association was weaker among first-time moms, and that indicates an opportunity to optimize this communication. And that association was even stronger than um, information given by physicians to that group. Um, and they hypothesized that you know this may have to do with the time that was spent and the you know knowledge that was given from those people who were focused on that.
0: So. Uh-huh. I would say that I think there's a fair amount. I think there's a difference in trust, quite honestly. Like, I think people have a sense that healthcare providers withhold information. So, um, and so I don't know if you've ever had this experience. This happens a lot in like adult medicine where the medical assistant or the nurse will come in and um, help, you know, help the person in the room, like take their blood pressure and their pulse, and then say, oh, your blood pressure is kind of low today, you feel okay? And their blood pressure may be normal, like 90 or 60, you know, which is normal for a young, healthy person. And they'll be like, yeah, I feel okay. And then they're like, okay. And then they leave the room, and the doctor comes in, and the patient says, oh, is my blood pressure low? And the doctor's like, no, your blood pressure is great. And they're like, hmm. And they always have... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the blood pressure was low and then they're worried that the doctor's like not paying any attention to it or not like you know, doctors can be so cavalier you know
1: and- yeah no for sure they specifically called out in this that they were like even when doctors had gone over things that patients like didn't like remember it and it's so interesting yeah, like, the yeah, number yeah. of things that we're covering and the things that stand out for us and the way that we highlight those or we don't
0: yeah Um, yeah so I always so you know we have a strict rule like you know medical assistants cannot make comments about well they're not diagnosticians anyway you know but they well
1: sure it's like when somebody's doing your ultrasound and they are you know they're not supposed to tell you what they see while they're doing your ultrasound right if they you know see something giant like first of all she's just going to freak you out but it's really off-putting to be having somebody who clearly does this every day and has a good clue what they're looking at Be like oh I can't tell you anything goodbye (laughs) I'm having to wait for days or they furl their eyebrow and they let
0: me get the doctor you know and then and then the doctor looks and goes well your primary will get back to you yeah patients freaking out you know
1: yeah I mean I had to go for an ultrasound a while ago and I was just like the number of things that she was clicking and doing measurements on the screen I mean it was like 5,000 shots. I was like, clearly I'm dying.
0: (laughs) Or you have quadruplets.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think just the, I mean, partly it's just the, like the um, hypochondriac doctor inside of me.
0: Oh, absolutely. But we all pick up on those little signals, right? Those little like gestures that that person's doing, um, their level of concern, how they say, okay, well, you're all done now, as opposed to okay, you're done.
1: Um, They'll call you. Okay, wait, wait. I found one of the parts I was looking for. It said, um, of these factors, receiving breastfeeding information from nurses, midwives, or lactation consultants was associated with an eightfold increase in the odds of breastfeeding initiation in first-time mothers and a fourfold increase for um, multi-paras mothers. And so, you know, I think it's just fascinating because it really highlights between these two studies that there is a lot that we don't know. And even if you were to combine the two, right? Like in the in the second study, I was like, oh, if this study was done only looking at moms who had been successful for at least two months, I wonder how the data would be different than looking at all moms and including the ones who you know, gave up at day three because their nipples were bleeding and they were just not gonna continue. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. So it's really hard for me to understand, and that's why I keep reading all these studies, all of the differences um, in the populations. And then, you know, from what I see when I'm just taking care of one mom and yeah. how we can make the healthcare system better for all the moms. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, I think also there are some definite individual characteristics that mothers have personality wise. Oh um, God. Yes. Yeah. That, um, you know, people who are very, very anxious, I feel have a harder time um, kind of go under the flow, so to speak.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I saw this mom on Thursday who was really struggling. She'd seen like five or six outpatient lactation consultants and she came to see me. And she was one of these moms that when she held her baby to nurse, just was in the most awkward position. The baby looked unsettled. She looked uncomfortable. And like, if you just looked at the mouth the baby's latch looked fine and she's like they keep telling me the latch looks fine um but I'm having a lot of pain and you know there's a lot going on but the level of anxiety that she had about this baby's reflux and she he had to be completely vertical while she was feeding him because she was worried about his reflux and he was like a completely normal fat happy baby who like yeah could not tolerate any amount of crying and I think we really see that in, in every day there's you know my like my, my nurse practitioner likes to say they're crying not dying cuz she's got four kids and like you know babies cry and sometimes we see families are changing the diaper and the baby's screaming and they're everybody's fine it's going to be done in a second no worries and then you see people who are just like freaking out where's the passy? you
0: yeah.
1: know yeah mom and dad are both right there shushing them and
0: yeah and you see that too when they when the kids are older too when the two-year when they come in with the two-year-old and the two-year-old interrupts like every minute of the conversation, and then you're, and then they they will respond and talk to them and say you know try to you know just continue to talk to them to address what they're saying to them, and so the two-year-old has complete control over the mother you know or over the father too you know sometimes eh, a little less over the father than the mother oftentimes. But some of that is anxiety too, and um,
1: yeah, so they, there's a
0: learned behavior there that starts early.
1: Well, and I think I see a lot more of it now, even just in these few months, because the normal support that families have is missing, and yes. you know, being able to go to those mom groups and be around other people and see what other people's babies are like, and um, it's really, really hard. Yeah, very hard. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: But I think parenting blogs, I mean, that's kind of cool. That's a good thing to share with um, your families.
1: Yeah. I wish I had known now. (laughs) I wish I knew then what I know now about, you know, toddlers. My kids are big and I'm like, Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think that that would have helped me a lot to be part of a parenting blog when my kids were little the problem
1: is you don't have time to read anything when your kids are really little.
0: That's true. Oh my gosh. That is so true. Yeah. Some of the
1: people who come in who clearly have been up all night on the internet and I'm like, just turn it off. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. Well, that's interesting. I think, um, I think for those of us who are listening, thinking a lot more about intention and support when you see, when you're helping mothers, um, can maybe give a different Light like a different lens for these people, and trying to understand, you know, what their what their socio what their socioeconomic slash social support slash healthcare support system is like, you know, to to understand, you know, that uh, those factors that's going to lead to lead them to to stay with breastfeeding or quit, and also their just their behavioral characteristics as well. Yeah. Complex. All right. Well, Karen, um, it's really great talking to you. And um, I hope things go well for you, uh, for your hospital system, for your family.
1: Same to you. Stay healthy. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye. For
0: questions regarding this podcast, please contact us through our website at lacted.org. We have other educational projects, including the clinical question of the week, our little green book of breastfeeding management for physicians, and our various educational courses and conferences for physicians and other breastfeeding supporters. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Breastfeeding Medicine podcast Facebook page where you can post any questions or comments about our podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you in about four weeks.